As we warm up from a bitterly cold holiday weekend, this is The Landscape, your show about America's parks and public lands. I'm Aaron Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities in Denver. In just a second, it is one of my favorite times of the year. You know, right behind toasting marshmallows in the summer, leaf peeping the aspens in the fall. It is time for the annual Conservation in the West Pole from Colorado College. Yeah, in all seriousness, high-quality public opinion polling is very hard to come by, even more so when it comes to outdoors and conservation issues. So this poll, which is now in its 11th year, gives us incredible insight into what Westerners are thinking and how those thoughts have changed over the last decade. We're going to talk to the pollsters behind it in just a minute, but first, let's do the news. It took mere moments for the oil and gas industry to start running around like Chicken Little as soon as President Biden announced a pause on oil and gas leasing across the West. Kathleen Sagama, the head of the Western Energy Alliance trade group, went on Fox News to warn that even pausing new leases will do this. And so this order yesterday would kill 58,700 jobs in eight states in the West, where oh. over 97 percent of the federal production is found. Yeah, it was a similarly dire story from the CEO of the American Petroleum Institute, Mike Summers. He went on a call with reporters to say that there are hundreds of thousands of jobs and billions of dollars in government revenue at risk. API is even spending more than a million bucks on TV ads that suggest school buses will vanish into thin air just because of a pause on oil leasing. Wow, that really does sound terrible, doesn't it? And there is just one problem with those dire predictions, and that's if you ask oil and gas executives, they will happily admit they are doing just fine. The CEO of ConocoPhillips was on an earnings call. Now, keep in mind, this is an earnings call. It's regulated by the SEC. You don't get to lie to investors. And he said on this call, quote, ConocoPhillips has the flexibility, the diversity, and the depth of low cost of supply and low greenhouse gas resource to manage through this issue without materially impacting our plans. There is no equivocation there. No material impact. That is as definitive as it gets. It's a similar story at two of the other biggest producers on public lands in the West. Both EOG Resources and Devon Energy have confirmed they have at least four years worth of drilling permits on national public land. The chief operating officer of EOG told an investor conference, quote, when it comes to access to federal lands, that's one of the things we're really not worried about in our business. So if oil companies aren't actually threatened by this temporary pause on leasing, why do they want the American people to think the pause is so dire? Well, it's likely because they know their gravy train is running out of track. The leasing pause, along with falling demand for oil, gives the Biden administration time to evaluate the entire oil and gas leasing program, which has been largely untouched since Congress passed the Mineral Leasing Act more than 100 years ago. The pause gives Congress time to bring the royalty rates that oil companies pay in line with market rates. That would end a subsidy that has cost taxpayers billions of dollars over the last century. And it creates a window to finally require oil and gas companies to post bonds sufficient to cover the costs of cleaning up oil wells when drillers go bust. But the leasing pause is even more significant in a way that truly does scare oil executives. And this is more of a symbolic thing, but it gives companies like GM the confidence 
to announce the end of internal combustion engines entirely. You have probably seen the ads with Will Ferrell touting GM's new battery system. That inevitable transition, which is, by the way, a market-driven move, well, that truly does pose an existential threat to oil and gas companies. Now, keep in mind, on top of that, oil companies are already mired in a debt crisis of their own creation. They over-leveraged themselves long before the pandemic hit. So ExxonMobil is laying off 14,000 employees. The New York Times is running profiles of college graduates in Texas who just realized they graduated with degrees prepared for jobs that may never exist again. So here's the bottom line. It is undeniable that the world is facing a climate crisis. The only way out is to drastically reduce carbon emissions. So taking the time to fully account for the damage caused by oil and gas drilling on public lands is a vital first step in getting to net zero. And during this transition, America will need to help oil-dependent communities and states and workers find their place in this new economy with the rapidly growing renewable energy industry and elsewhere. That is the long-term reality, and that is going to be the long-term reality regardless of who is in the White House. But in the short term, the oil industry's crocodile tears over public lands shouldn't fool anyone. Take their own executive's word for it. Our guests today are the pollsters behind the annual Conservation in the West Poll, which is now in its 11th year, released by the State of the Rockies Project at Colorado College. It's something we look forward to here at the Center for Western Priorities because it is the gold standard for public opinion poll because it is the gold standard for public opinion polling across the entire Mountain West, and because it's been in the field for so many years, it's a chance to see how voter opinions about conservation issues have evolved. We are joined once again by the bipartisan polling team that conducts the conservation in the West Poll. Lori Weigel is a Republican pollster with Newbridge Strategies. Welcome, Lori. Thanks for having me. And Dave Metz is a Democratic pollster with FM3. Welcome, Dave. Glad to be here. Before we get going, I will mention that there is a link to all of the poll results we're about to talk about in the show notes, also at stateoftherockies.com. So feel free to hit pause, go pull those up, and then come back and follow along with us. I will also mention that Lori's having some work done at her house today, so if you hear some large construction equipment going on, that's what's happening. Okay, let's start off with the basics, Dave and Lori. Uh, how many voters did you talk to this year in which states? Uh, so this year we interviewed over 3,800 voters across eight states in the interior West. Uh, this is the most voters we've ever interviewed. And it's also the first year that we uh, conducted the survey with a mix of methodologies, talking to people on landline phones, on wireless phones, and also in online interviews. Um, and the reason that we boosted our sample size and also shifted to this more diverse uh, set of ways of reaching out to people was to just to continue to ensure that we get the most diverse and representative possible sample of Western voters as people are changing the ways that they communicate and the ways that they respond to surveys. Uh, as in past years, we conducted the survey in both Spanish and in English. And uh, this year, we also did additional oversamples of interviews with Black voters and Native American voters in the West. And that allows us to speak with more confidence to the opinions of some of those communities of color than is typically the case for surveys that are done in this part of the country. So one of the things that, that struck me looking at these numbers, first of all, is that just generally speaking, 
uh, folks seem to be very concerned over nature and the outdoors. Yeah, that's absolutely true. We, one of the initial questions in the survey, we asked our respondents to think about the future of nature, meaning land, water, air, and wildlife, and asked them to tell us if they feel more hopeful or more concerned. And the results reflect a pretty broad sense of anxiety among Western voters. We have uh, only a little more than one third of voters who describe themselves as hopeful about the future of nature, and 61% who describe themselves as worried. And that sentiment cut across all age groups, it cut across all eight of the states where we did interviews, and it was a totally bipartisan sentiment with majorities of Republicans, independents, and Democrats saying that they're worried about the future of nature. In addition, because this was the 11th survey that we've conducted, we've now been doing this for over a decade, uh, we can draw some comparisons between what voters are saying now and, and what they've said in prior years. And on almost all issues relating to the health and condition of nature in the West, voters are expressing more concern today than they were 10 years ago. And in fact, in most cases, the increases in concern have been by uh, double digits and, and even doubled in some cases. I thought it was very interesting to see how opinions about climate change, especially, have changed over time, Lori. Uh, what have we seen here over the last decade? Yeah, we've basically seen respondents telling us that this is a bigger concern than we've ever seen before. Even from last year, we saw an increase in that concern level. So the very first year that we conducted this survey, we actually asked it about global warming. <laughs> we asked uh, 27 percent said that that was an extremely or very serious problem. That has doubled today in the same state so that we can compare apples to apples there. It's up at 54%. Um, so a doubling of that intense concern about climate change. And it's really gone up across the board. It's gone up the most among Republicans and independent voters in the West. Still gone up by double digits among Democrats who started at much higher levels of concern. Um, but that's a big shift. And uh, those who are most concerned today are those voters under age 35, the youngest group that we look at. 61% uh, tell us that it's an extremely or very serious problem. And in fact, 84% of those youngest voters tell us it's at least a somewhat serious problem in their state. Can you tell from these numbers how much of it is that demographic shift or how much of it is changing awareness of the threat? Well, I think that we've seen a range of different issues popping up in terms of concern. I mean, voters in the West have long been concerned about things like uh, low levels of uh, water and rivers and inadequate water supplies. But now we're seeing really big concern as well about wildfires. It wasn't something that we had the foresight to, to ask about uh, in our very first year, but we've been tracking it for the last five years. And we now have nine in 10 voters telling us that wildfires, uncontrollable wildfires that threaten homes and property are at least a serious problem in their state with three in five telling us it's an extremely or very serious problem. It's really highest in, in states like Colorado and Montana, but it's more than three quarters in every single state. And many of those voters that are telling us it's more of a problem now than they even thought, uh, than they saw 10 years ago, are telling us that that's attributable to changes in the climate. In fact, that was the 
most likely cause uh, for those who said it was more of a problem today than 10 years ago, along with drought, but really focusing in on changes in the climate. It also struck me that uh, there, the loss of habitat is something that voters seem to be much more aware of now than they were even a decade ago. Yeah, so we've seen we've seen really rising concern about a range of different issues. I mean, every conservation-related problem that we asked about a decade ago is now higher today. And so loss of habitat, again, went up like by 17 points, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, that's something that interestingly has gone up even in the in the last year just given i think some of the concern about the influx of people coming to this region um, over the course of the pandemic and uh, building and development taking place in in a range of different types of communities not just in, in major cities but but really throughout this region dave it was interesting i, I thought that there's a, a a consensus around investing in conservation, even though there's awareness that that state budgets are really tight right now because of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. It's really striking in the data. I mean, uh, these voters are obviously feeling the economic anxiety that we know many Americans are feeling as we've been facing uh, something of an economic downturn since the start of the pandemic. Um, we have sizable majorities of our respondents who tell us they're worried about state budget deficits and also that they're worried about unemployment in their state. And, you know, in, in uh, our more recent polls over the last couple of years, unemployment was close to the bottom of the list of concerns that voters were worried about. But despite those economic anxieties, it's really striking the degree to which voters believe that conservation should be a priority. Um, and we still have large numbers of voters who are telling us that they want to see their state spending more as opposed to less on conservation. So um, this is not something that voters see as optional. It's not something that they think is only worthy of investment in economic good times. It's something they really see as a core and, and vital function of, uh, of government to protect something that, that they view as essential to their quality of life in the West. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about the 30 by 30 goal, which is now part of uh, President Biden's official climate agenda. Uh, before that was signed as part of the CEO, you were in the field asking about 30 by 30. Um, Lori or Dave, what did you end up finding there in terms of where voters are with this one very specific uh, goal in terms of, of conservation and, uh, and protecting wildlife and, uh, and land? Yeah, so we saw that three quarters of voters in the interior West are indicating support for this sort of big national goal of conserving 30% of our land and inland waters uh, throughout the country, and, and certainly uh, uh, matching that 30% in ocean areas as well in, in the very near term by, by the year 2030. Um, we had a majority in every Western state telling us that that was something uh, that they support. And we also saw uh, that policy goal really cross partisan lines. Now, granted, we didn't frame it as you did as being part of a Biden climate right. agenda, but it was uh, three in five uh, Republicans that indicated support along with the overwhelming majority of those independent voters at 80% and nearly all Democrats at 92% indicating support uh, for that kind of a a bold vision for conservation. 
So give me a sense of uh, how that kind of consensus compares to other issues. If you ask about the minimum wage or health care or uh, abortion, when what kinds of issues do you see that kind of bipartisan consensus on when you're in the field? Well, Very few. there's not too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be hard pressed. I mean, really, water issues are one of the things that, that tends to get uh, overwhelming bipartisan agreement and, and uh, e- even some land conservation issues, uh, you know, can, can sort of, as we see with 30 by 30, can match that kind of uh, bipartisan uh, agreement here. But really, it's, it's, it's rare and few <laughs> we see where voters across the aisle will agree. Dave, it sounds like you agree this is an outlier. Uh, yeah, 100%. It's a, it's a rare area of consensus at a time when our politics is marked more by division than uh, unity. And I think you know what really makes this issue distinct is that voters may come to it from different places. There may be different values and desires that are moti- motivating them, but they end up sharing support for these policies. Um, for uh, Democrats, as we've seen, they're highly concerned about climate change. Um, larger numbers of, of Democrats will tell us that they want to see nature preserved for its own sake, for its own inherent value. But among Republicans, we also have large numbers of sportsmen and sportswomen, people who recreate outdoors frequently um, and want to see land preserved for those recreational values. And so there may be different factors that drive their support for conservation, but it does result in this remarkable and rare sort of bipartisan agreement that this is an area that's uh, uh, you know, worth significant effort and investment from government right now. So I know, I know we didn't, you didn't drill into exactly how you get to 30 by 30, but they, you did ask about should we have more national parks, national monuments, those sorts of things. What did you end up finding there? We had very strong uh, support for creating new national parks, national monuments, national wildlife refuges, and and those types of uh, protected areas, uh, especially given the context we place around protecting historic sites or areas for outdoor recreation. Uh, We had 84% overall in the West and uh, basically two-thirds or greater in every single state. And support was fairly intense as well. We had a a solid majority of 55% saying that they strongly support that. I think some of that is linked to the fact that we had a majority as well that said, um, you know, we survived 2020 and once we get through, uh, you know, this this difficult winter and the pandemic's under control, that they really wanna go out and visit national public lands more often uh, than they have uh, in the past. And, you know, very few, only 4% said they, they'd prefer to visit less, less often. So really people are wanting to get out there and to enjoy these places. And so that may be part of the rationale for why they are so solidly in support of creating new places to recreate. Was there also an awareness of, of overcrowding issues right now? Yeah, in fact, what we saw when we asked those who had visited national public lands, which is the vast majority, by the way, said they had visited in the last the last year, despite the pandemic. Um, when we asked them what had limited their ability to go more often if they wanted to, 
Um, crowding was the top response by far. 31% said the fact that these places were sometimes too crowded uh, was the main barrier far ahead of uh, either distance, like taking too long to get there, or cost, or, or just simply a preference for other activities. So crowding is something that's that's clearly on the mind of, of many of these Westerners. I want to move on to energy and oil and gas development. Uh, obviously, that's another one that has been in the headlines right now because of that that Biden EO. And, and again, uh, this was in the field before that, so you weren't asking specifically about that. But when you asked about oil and gas development, uh, and Dave, I'll let you take this one first, what did voters say? Well, I think you know the important place to start is is sort of identifying what voters' priorities are when it comes to national public lands. And we've had a question that we've asked consistently over the course of the last couple of years, where we um, sketch out for voters two different visions of what we might prioritize for those lands. Um, on the one hand, focusing on protecting water, air, and wildlife habitat, as well as opportunities for recreation. And on the other, uh, trying to produce more domestic energy by maximizing the amount of those lands available for responsible oil and gas drilling and mining. And when we ask voters which of those two they think that their member of Congress should emphasize, consistently we have seen two-thirds of voters choosing the former, basically saying it should be air, water, wildlife habitat, and recreation. Uh, that is the, our sort of primary objective when we think about the, managing our, our national public lands. And one might think, again, given that we're in more economically anxious times now than we have been over the last couple of years, that there might be more of a focus on energy production and people would see some economic advantage to be gained from that. But in fact, what this year's poll shows is that the proportion who are preferring to focus on uh, conservation has gone up. We now have 69% of voters in the interior West that say that that should be the priority. So with that underlying value, it's not surprising that when we ask about specific policies relating to um, energy development on public lands, we see voters speaking up pretty strongly in favor of limiting uh, the amount of uh, drilling and, and mining that goes on there. In fact, almost three quarters, 73%, said that they either believe that uh, oil and gas development on public lands should be stopped entirely or should be strictly limited uh, in, in places where uh, new drilling may be under consideration. It's only about a quarter of voters that are telling us they believe that oil and gas drilling should be expanded on public lands. So in that regard, I think uh, the early actions the administration have taken are pretty well in line with what the poll says Western voters would, would like to see happen. And I think it's interesting that difference between the percent who support an outright ban on drilling versus strictly limiting, that's a, a pretty big gap in there. That's right. Only 15% of voters tell us um, that they want to see an outright ban on the development of oil and gas drilling. 59% say that uh, they think uh, we should strictly limit where and how such uh, drilling takes place. Um, and so that means, you know, voters aren't closing the door entirely, but they are saying that they want some pretty careful oversight of the way that it happens. I think it, it was interesting that of all you, you asked about a whole bunch of conservation policies. And what was fascinating to me is that the answer on all of them 
came back, yes. So uh, we don't need to dive into necessarily the exact numbers on all of these since it was so so universal. But Laurie, if you could just run down some of the other conservation policy proposals that voters got asked about this year. Oh, it was a long list. <laughs> so we did a number of things to try and keep them fresh and, and splitting these up. But uh but, you know, we asked about everything from uh, ensuring tribes have greater input onto lands that, uh, that have historically been theirs, uh, to restoring Clean Water Act provisions to smaller streams and, and wetlands, uh, to things like uh, directing funds to ensure sort of more equitable access to parks and natural areas for communities of color and lower income communities. And yeah, we had two thirds or greater indicating support for any one of these uh, particular policies. And, and the list goes on and on. It sort of hit the range from water to wildlife to lands to, uh, to what exactly can take place or not on national public lands. Uh, but generally, I think the themes that, that Dave talked about, the, the interest in prioritizing the conservation value, um, these lands for wildlife habitat, while still ensuring that, that, you know, we Westerners can get out there and recreate in these places um, was really sort of the tone uh, across all of these different policies. And, and they're not shy about wanting to make investments. When we asked about modernizing water infrastructure or extending water and sanitation to tribal areas, uh, we saw great support for that as well, even when we directly talked about uh, that requiring funding. So I think you're really seeing a sense that these things are, are worthy and needed and something that's important to do today. I want to dive into this oversample of Indigenous Americans and people of color. Uh, I think it's it's fascinating that you, you, we spent the you. I think it's fascinating that you spent the time to do that uh, to to make sure you could speak with confidence about what what voters. Uh, of color say, Dave, what what stuck out to you from those results? I think what's most striking is not that the views of Westerners of color differ dramatically from uh, from white voters, but uh, that the intensity of their sentiment on many issues is just much higher. Um, both their support for policies that would protect land, air, and water. Um, and their level of concern about some of the threats facing the West in terms of climate change and other things. We just see um, a higher proportion of, of uh, voters of color telling us that they feel strongly about these issues. Um, and that's true both for some policies where we're invoking um, issues that may be of particular concern to one racial or ethnic group. For example, we had questions talking about uh, support for protecting uh, Native American sites where we saw among Native American voters upwards of two-thirds offering strong support for the policy, far more than any other ethnic group. But it's also true when we're just talking in general about the sort of full range of, of conservation concepts that Lori and I have been talking about so far. Um, and I will say that that's very consistent with polling that we have done around the country where voters of color make up a larger share of other states' electorates. Um, we pretty consistently see 10 to 15 point gaps with more support and stronger support for conservation policies coming from communities of color than we see coming from white voters. Last question for each of you is 
takeaways to your your various clients who you you might advise. So, Lori, you're a Republican pollster. If you're advising or or giving a briefing to say a Republican in the U.S. Senate, what's the takeaway for them? Uh, what's what, what do you need to internalize from this poll? Well, there's a lot here, and I'd encourage all of them to really dig into <laughs> the data as I would any of your listeners, um, because there's just so much uh, that we're seeing in this data. But, you know, I think one thing that's clearly going to be uh, on the agenda coming up soon at the federal level is issues related to climate change. And where once it might have been something that you would say, well, you know, Republicans are are just uh, you know, dismissive, even sometimes hostile to those ideas, it's really moved significantly. We now have a majority of Republicans that say this is a serious problem in their state. And, and that's a big change over the last decade. Um, and, you know, in, in other research that we do, we see, we see that as well, not just in the West, but throughout the country where it's really shifted in terms of opinions. And it's something that especially younger Republicans and moderate Republicans really want some action on. So I think it's something that they need to pause and think about and take a fresh look at, uh, given the very real shifts we've seen over time. Dave, same question to you. If the Biden administration calls you up and says, OK, what do I need to know from this giant 40 question battery? Uh, what are the, the two or three biggest takeaways you'd want the administration to, to really hear here? Yeah, well, I, I would echo what Lori said about climate change. Um, and I think in particular for a Democratic administration, uh, issues related to climate are not just a rising concern or a big concern for Democrats, but they are one of the things that they are most concerned about, period. Uh, we saw in a lot of polling around the Democratic presidential primary last year that it was literally climate change was the issue about which Democratic voters were most concerned. Um, but as Lori detailed, this is not just a Democratic issue anymore. It's something that the center of the electorate also feels strongly about. We're even seeing um, substantial concern from, from Republicans. But I guess the main thing that I would recommend from this data is not having to do with one specific policy or or issue. Um, but it's just the need to go big. Uh, and, and obviously, the president is getting this advice on a wide range of different policy fronts right now. But uh, despite the pandemic, uh, what we're seeing in these numbers is voters are not only not backing away from support for conservation, but their support is broader and more intense than it has been in prior years. And uh, even when you know, prompted to think about some of the budget concerns that our current economic context creates, they're still saying that they want to see more invested in conservation. Um, the administration's getting a lot of criticism, fairly or not, these days, uh, you know, as they consider using reconciliation to, to pass the COVID relief bill, that this isn't consistent with the president's promise during his campaign to, to govern from a position of unity. And, you know, as we discussed earlier, this set of issues around conservation are ones that unite Westerners more than they divide them. And so if the Biden administration is looking for a place where it can really uh, have some bipartisan success and, and, and appeal to the full political spectrum of voters, uh, investing in conservation is absolutely a place where they can do that. Go big, I guess, is the takeaway then. Dave Metz is a pollster with FM3. Lori Weigel, pollster with Newbridge Strategy. Thank you both 
so much. Uh, you can find the full results of the conservation in the West Pole at stateoftherockies.com. That's Colorado College's website. Dave and Lori, thank you so much again this year. Thank you. Our pleasure. And that'll do it for this chilly episode of The Landscape. Again, head into the show notes for links to all of those poll results that we talked about today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please send it to a friend, or even better, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is always the best way for new listeners to find us. And feel free to drop us a line with feedback, podcast at westernpriorities.org, or I am A. Weiss on Twitter. Thanks again to Dave Metz and Lori Weigel, as well as Professor Katrina Miller-Stevens and the whole team at the State of the Rockies Project at Colorado College. I'm Aaron Weiss, and on behalf of the whole Center for Western Priorities team, thanks for listening to The Landscape. <laughs>